Hello and welcome again to our next study of the encounter. We are done with the Gospel of John. We have made mm -hmm. it through. It's been a good five months. Uh, today we're going to be switching then to kind of the early history of the church, which would be starting in Acts chapter 9 for this quarter, and it's going to be the famous Damascus Road experience from Paul, and so we'll get into that. This will be for Sunday, May the 1st, and our scripture selections, Acts chapter 9, 1 through 19. Our memory verse is Acts 9, 4. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then our prayer for illumination today. Almighty God, you changed Saul's heart by blinding him so that he might truly see. We ask the same today. Open our eyes to see your grace. Help us to respond to your word and faithfulness like Ananias, even when we might be scared. Amen. Well, I'm going to be the host today and obviously I haven't done it in a month because I didn't introduce myself. My name you did it. I am the adult <laughs> ministries coordinator uh, for the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And this is Reverend Becky. Uh, Hi. Introduce yourself. I am the director of ministry with women for the Ministry Council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I always forget that. I trip over that every time. I You'll swear. get there. It's getting there. And hi, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us this week in our study. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Mm -hmm. Look at us go. Right. Um, all right. So back to Reverend Jennifer Newell being our uh, writer, and she does an amazing good job again today. Um, I like some of the stuff she comes into. Uh, so far as the introduction, I loved the story. When I was growing up, we didn't have the Gideon speakers, but when I became a pastor up here, uh, Margaret Hank had already had kind of a history of doing the Gideon speakers, and and if you're a pastor, sometimes your tummy gets, I don't know, at least mine did, like when you had a group come in to take over your service, you were a little scared, um, but sure. I was always pleasantly surprised with their um their gospel presentation and their work but anyway um yeah. i'll i'll throw it over to you there reverend and what what did you uh pick up from our introduction i i love this story too and like you we did not have gideon speakers in the denomination that i grew up in so having gideon speakers was something new for me when i came to the cumberland presbyterian church um and the churches that i pastored they had a, a good relationship with the gideons where every year it was uh, pretty common for them to have one of the Gideon speakers. And I always love their testimony. It's kind of like what Jennifer was talking about with this testimony with this lady that came to church. I love hearing their stories. And I think that's something we don't do often enough is talk about our testimonies, even amongst ourselves of how God has interacted in our life. Uh, because these are the things that bolster our faith. These are the things that excite me as a pastor that I love hearing about. I love hearing about how God is working in people's lives and how God has, has turned them around and gave them fresh breath and, and brought them back to the fold. Um, so I really appreciated this story. This was a good story. So a couple things. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, I mean, I know when the Gideons come, they share some of the experiences that people have. Yeah had when reading a Gideon's Bible and I when I was first a Christian I was like ah this is kind of goofy like but the more I've met people who were converted or or they didn't commit suicide at a hotel because right. they had gotten a Bible or converted at the hospital because it was the only thing they had to read or whatever or at least began their journey yeah um, and, and we're touched I think one of my favorite stories that I've heard so far 
and I'm going to forget his first name. So if he's watching, I truly apologize. Um, but he came to the church and his story, he talked about, you know, being down in South America and handing out the, the little Bibles that they do to the kids and just talking to people about Jesus and introducing them to the gospel. And he said one day he had a dream and it was, he was walking down the middle of a road. It was like a four lane, four lane road. And he was walking down it and he was walking with Jesus and he was talking to Jesus. And he said, you know, I just, I feel like I haven't done enough in my life that I haven't done enough for you and for the kingdom. And what more can I do and help me? And Jesus turned to him and said, turn around and, and look behind you. And he did. And he said, the, the road was just full of all of these people walking behind him in Christ. And he was like, Jesus, I don't, I don't know who any of these people are. Who are all these people? And Jesus told them, these are all the people that he has touched during his lifetime, that these are all the people that he may have said a kind word to, uh, whatever it was that made a difference in their life, that he, these are all the people that he's touched. And he just, I mean, of course the man was just weeping with the memory of this, of this dream that he had. And I thought, wow, you know, and it's kind of like this story right here. Did this woman know that she touched Jennifer at a young age? Probably not. Did she ever think that 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 would happen with a child probably not but she did yeah she yeah did it's her, ripple story, effects. her testimony yeah absolutely and it does highlight and i think it's important to highlight in this case like we like to think that we have all this responsibility like you know to be sad that like we we haven't converted someone like maybe billy graham but it's not your job your job your job is to be faithful in presenting the message and then the holy spirit does amazing things like, you know, yeah. there's no reason as to why somebody just sitting in a hotel picks up a Bible and begin, you know, has a conversion experience, except the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. And so there's a reliance on the Holy Spirit in our evangelism. And, and it shows here in this uh, Acts passage. The last thing I want to bring up about this is because I remember when I was a Bible college student, uh, we had, uh, we were in our, I forgot what it was, homiletics class or something. And somebody was given a, well, you know, probably one of their first sermons or whatnot. And they did this kind of a before and after, like, and like, we got to hear about drug experiences, sexual escapades, drinking all the time, whatever, anyway. And then he kind of ended up with, but I don't do that anymore. And I remember him sitting down and the preacher said, you sometimes you got to be careful that the sin doesn't sound better than the salvation. <laughs> and I think That's sometimes true. we might get into that trap too, to where we glorify these, you know, awesome experiences where somebody who was just terrible came to Christ and yes, praise God. But at the same time, the older I get, the more I admire those who simply have tried to live faithfully their entire life. Like yes. they've never been on drugs. They've never been dependent upon any substances. They yeah. haven't beat their spouse. They haven't, you know, and like just their whole life has been light to the world. Um, and I think that's amazing. And it's something and that's, that a, I, that's I, an awesome story too. I mean, and I think Jennifer touches on that too, yeah. in her introduction that she doesn't have that sensational, but that, that, that's beautiful in its own right. I agree with you yeah. that the ability and the opportunity and the awareness that you've never had to try these vices that you have been so in touch with Christ your entire life. I, that's, that's a beautiful story as well. 
Yeah, so and don't, then, don't discount those, No, you know, cause I've, I've heard that before from other pastors when I talk about my conversion story, because my story does have all the sin involved in it. Right. Um, and I've heard other people say, well, I've never had anything that dramatic, but it doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's still a beautiful story. The better story. Cause you, I mean, yeah. even when you're saved, you carry around those sins a lot of times. Yeah. There's some things true. you can never unsee. There's some things yes. you can, you can say I'm sorry for, and you can be forgiven for, but they haunt you. Yeah. And yes, so, they do. They do haunt you. Absolutely. I agree. So good. Introdu- I liked her intro- yeah, yeah. And I liked her introductory question. She said, is it reasonable to compare your experience with Saul's? And I think we just kind of touched on that. Yeah. I mean, like in some way, yeah. Anytime a sin becomes uh, right before, or anytime a soul becomes right before God, it's an amazing experience. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it doesn't matter whether it was gradual or dramatic or whatever it was, you know, it's, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful story. So please share your story with your group today. Would love to. Um, and if I see you out and about somewhere, share your story with me. I love to hear testimonies. I do. I do too. Um, all right. So that's a pretty good introduction. That'll get us off and running. Obviously, we're talking about conversion and the, yeah. the acts of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in our lives. And so getting kind of particular and in the historical and contextual setting, uh, we first have a uh, conversation about, you know, Damascus. Um, which I think now it's in it's Syria. Christianity is close to dying out in a lot of those regions altogether. Yeah. But um, important center at the time, lots of Jewish folk, at least mm-hmm. on the way to a lot, lots of Jewish folk, uh, and we're introduced to Saul. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll open it up from there. If there's anything you want to highlight about Damascus or anything else that we have in our contextual historical setting. I think it's important to remember the settings that we're sitting in. So, so Damascus is this beautiful place um, that was sitting right on a major trade route. You know, um, as somebody who shops at Walmart and Kroger, (laughs) we don't, we don't always think about the importance of trade routes in, in our history. So we have to remember the time and place that we're at and how important this trade route was just because it brought together so many different cultures and languages um, and ideas and opinions all, all in the same place. So this is, this is Damascus. This is where, where Saul is coming to, um, is this place where you have all these different cultures and languages and things and and religions that were being practiced. So it wasn't just, there was a good sizable Jew, Jewish community, um, and followers of the way, but there were also several other religions, especially, you know, the, the major Roman religions, um, you know, this was all kind of a conglomerate metropolitan area of, of which Saul was trekking towards at that time. Um, and I also really appreciated how um, Jennifer brought up that they were called the way. Yeah. I don't think they were actually called Christians. What was the first time? Was it Antioch was the first time Antioch. that they were called Christians? And she says, you know, the term's only used three times in the Bible right. of Christians. Right. Little little Christ, if I remember. Yes. Yeah. So so our name, um, the name for of what we follow and the symbols over time. I think that's another important thing um, to remember that the symbols have changed over time. Um, they did not use a cross in the early church. That was not uh, the symbol that they chose to yeah. exemplify who they followed. They, it was usually fish. Yeah. Ichthus. Yep. 
Um, Which is interesting in and of itself, if you think about, you know, they were fishermen, the majority of the first disciples that Christ called the apostles were fishermen, yeah, you know, it, and he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So, and it was part of their diet, a major part yep. of their diet. That's another yep. reason, major, major part, major of, part of their diet, economic system, these mm-hmm. kinds of things. Yep. Um, which is a symbol of itself of, of the, you know, nutrition of Christ and the sustenance and, and yeah. Um, so I like the thought of the way. I really wish we had never gotten away from that. Me too. Because, Me too. Okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Because like, of course, you know, at that point in time, it's not that Christianity had this established religion. You didn't have professional roles of minister. You didn't have like places that you necessarily went to like a synagogue. You, you sometimes you gathered, but it was understood, you know, they were still Jewish a lot in their thinking but it yeah. was understood that they're following a different path. They're living a different way. Their life is characterized by a different way. And that way right. is the following of Christ. And so it was more of a lifestyle than it was a activity. Maybe if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and, and I think I, that's important. I, I wish we could get back to that. Yeah. I mean, that was one of her questions, I think, at the end was, in what ways is the way a good description of the Christian life? And if you had come up with a new name to represent all believers in Jesus, what would it be? I think the way was a great descriptor. Followers um, way, yeah. yeah, followers of the way that that Christ was pointing us to a countercultural type of living. Yeah, um, a yeah, a choice of living one way or the other. And this was the yes. way. This was the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. So, yeah. So like Islam, right? The technical, technically Islam, they would not refer to themselves as, as a religion, right? So if you mm-hmm. wouldn't say an Islamicist, um, you would say a Muslim. But the thing is, Islam means submission. And then a Muslim on a technical uh, means one who submits. All right. Okay. And so, like, I think that probably comes from this understanding of Christianity. It's not necessarily that they were Christians as much as they were ones who followed the way, you know, and then the Christian right. tag came on. But but I think there's a subtle difference in that. Like, again, you can earn the badge Christian by showing up at youth group or showing up at church, you know, but. But are you though? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's that's a great, I think it was Joyce Meyer that I first heard this. She said, you can sit in your garage for right. two weeks, but it doesn't make you a car. Right. right. And the same with coming to church on Sunday. You can come to church every Sunday and sit in a pew, but coming to church and sitting in a pew does not make you a Christian. It's the choices that you make. It's the, yeah. the lifestyle that you choose to live. It's the decisions that you make in your life, the following the way yeah, or and, not. And a deep, well, so I want to, you know, that's the, that's the trap we get into too, though. Like, cause also being a Christian isn't, isn't necessarily action as much as it is. You have committed in a personal relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, there's yeah. another way, I mean, like, uh, because you know religion itself that's a that's a system that's a big, of, of doing something yep but big then term. faith and it you know that's a that's a relationship with christ so that's a good way to think here so mm-hmm. yeah i like the way if i were to come up with a new name to represent believers in jesus christ i think 
a beloved, which isn't new, but I've always loved that term. Yeah. Beloved community or just beloved. Um, if we could like get that, that to stick, that would be fun. Yeah. That'd be cool. I don't know. I couldn't come up with anything. I've really, I really sat and thought about this and I really couldn't come up with anything that I liked better than the way. Yeah, it's pretty good. Cause to me, that just describes so much about what it means to be a follower. Yep. I mean, yeah. yeah. So not bad. Follow. All that problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not renaming anything here. Yeah. Okay. We're good. We're good. All right. So that gives us, gets us to the digging deeper section, comparing scripture yeah. with scripture. And she highlights uh, a couple things. She highlights the use of light. Uh, she highlights blindness. And then she highlights the, the three day themes that kind of mm -hmm. keep coming on. So what did, what'd you get? I loved the whole light concept. I think that was probably my favorite one. She said in today's lesson, Saul definitely finds himself in the light, but before the divine light can guide him, favor him, or give him life, it blinds him. And that really struck me. I mean, the whole, I don't know that I've really thought because every time I've read this, it's, it's all about Saul becoming Paul. Um, but this time it was Ananias who really just it like slapped me upside of the head. Right. The fear, the trepidation that Ananias was like, God, are you sure? You know, I've heard about this dude. He's, he's not good news. Are you sure this is the one that I need to go and talk to? Um, and then the idea that before Paul could see, he had to be blind that whole concept just really, really made me think about this story a little differently because how, how are we any different in our lives? Well, okay. So if you, if your conversion has just been, you know, you went to church when you're a kid and, and life was good and you've always been a part of a Christian family and that's beautiful. And I love that for someone like me, it was hitting rock bottom and having to become blinded in order to be able to see, because there was, I had to see that there was, that this was the light yeah. that I was searching for. Cause I looked for light in so many other places only to be completely enveloped in darkness that I had to be completely enveloped in darkness before I could see the true light, you know? Um, and so that whole, that whole concept really just, um, struck me with, with this idea that he had to be blind before he could, before he could see, but then Ananias who could see and who understood was sent to someone who he didn't have 2020 blind. vision. He was a little worried. No. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But he, he was at least having this conversation with God and understood, understood, you know, as, as whatever the social media says he understood his assignment and he went and talked to and prayed for and laid hands on Saul so that Saul could truly see um you know gosh that was that was good i really liked the the dichotomy of what she brought out there between the light and the dark that was really good really made me think hard about that and if you're a sunday school teacher 
obviously we, we, we probably instinctually know this, but like um, dark was darker for many people in the sense. So when you start thinking of God as light and dark, like, you know, many of us, some of us still live out in the country where it's not as bad, but like, right. I've never been in a place that has no like uh, light noise or, you know what I'm saying? So like mm-hmm. the sky like, looks no different. light whatsoever. <laughs> and I've yeah. never been to a place to, to where you could, where dark is dark, right? right. Or where you can look up and, and, and see, see stars unfiltered, not like we see it. Like it's, in our culture, the darkness probably isn't as scary because we always have a flashlight or, you know, we have street lights, cell, cell phone, whatever, like, yeah, man, you could imagine it's always lights. You, yeah. And when it gets dark, it was dark back then. Like, yes, and- probably the best way. I mean, for us who live in a city culture is, um, when you go to visit the, the caves, like down in Tennessee, where they have the different caves that you could walk in and they turn off the lights, (laughs) this dark, dark, this is what this is. This is dark, dark. (laughs) You can't see where you're going. Mm -mm. You, your mind when it's dark and you can't see can create things. And so, I mean, like, yeah, that's when you start, that's when you start feeling why, when, when like, uh, John writes, he's the light of the world or, you know, in God, there's no darkness at all. And first John, there was a deep meaning that we haven't necessarily experienced uh, too often. Uh, And then so far as the blindness, of course, that's something that John used. John used that a lot, like a lot frequently in in the gospel. And and the point being is, and then Isaiah, it kind of comes from Isaiah where, you know, like when Isaiah's commission you know, those who see blinded, those who hear can't understand kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's, there's just the, always this, just cause you, you know, the physically blind can, are, are usually healed and they see spiritually, but those who can physically see are often spiritually blinded. And so yeah. I think that goes back to the way, I mean, like you can, you can live a certain way, but Christ is calling us to live a certain way. And sometimes mm-hmm. you have to see your um or not see maybe yeah. in this case but the point yeah. being is it's a it's a completely different way of life uh than it's, it was it's completely different looking at it. i mean if you think about just the conversion of saul to paul saul was incredibly intelligent and and incredibly well educated he understood the old testament scriptures the only bible that they had at that time right was the hebrew scriptures the old testament what we call the old testament he understood what his Old Testament said very well. And he was very zealous and diligent for what he thought it believed. And so this three days of blindness, we can only imagine the conversations that he was having with God allowed him an opportunity to then see the light through those scriptures, but differently than he saw it before. See the true light that's coming through the scriptures. You know, that to me is just, that leads Mm. us into the next, um, the learning from the scripture, but I did want to read on page 60, last paragraph before the learning from the scripture section. I love Mm -hmm. the way, I think this is exactly it. So Jennifer, Reverend, you did a good job on the Damascus road and over the dark days that follow God disorients and then reorient Saul's life in a way that leaves him forever and eternally changed. And I think that does happen. 
Like, I yes. think even if you're one of those people who don't have the glamorous conversion story, there is a time in your life to where you still have to make a choice of what you're living for. Even if you're not living bad, there's a difference in not living bad and then loving Christ and living for Christ. Lots of people don't live bad, like the Pharisees. They didn't live bad. Right. Or like Paul, as you were saying, he did pretty much everything good that he thought he was supposed to do in society he thought he was supposed to do yeah sometimes you got to get reoriented which yeah i love this question and i've thought about this quite a bit and i'm standing in awe and amazement of how god works so she uh jennifer asked was this a conversion or a calling right mm. uh so anyway i'll let you respond to that and then we'll, we'll continue oh I'm going to have to lean more towards a calling than a conversion. Thinking about it in that terms, just because as I've understood my calling and the way that I saw scripture, you know, most of you that have been watching these videos understand my story that I came from the the church Christ um, and became a Cumberland Presbyterian. And with that, especially than being called as a minister, um, there were a lot of things that I had to see different. And I understood the scripture to mean and say one thing, but then God opened my eyes and I see and understand it differently where as a woman, it's okay for me to be a minister. Where Where the way I understood scripture before it wasn't okay for me to be a minister. So so you weren't converted at that time. I wasn't converted. No, it was just that I had the true light. Um, and I could see in places that were never illumined to me before. And, and, and as, as a believer, as a follower of the way, we believe that the Holy spirit leads and guides you and that things are open to you at the time that's appropriate. So it's, it's a journey. I think that's something that we forget is that, that our spiritual life is a journey. It is, it is us growing and maturing and God showing us things at times and places when we're ready to see them and we're not going to have all the information and we're not going to have all the, everything. We're not going to know everything until we get to the other side, but through this life, there are things that God shows us when we're ready to see them and not before. Yeah. So the uh, page 61, third paragraph in the top, I'll just read it real quick because I think yeah. uh, it's, but is Saul's story a conversion? He often speaks about this experience, but not that way. Instead, he refers to it as his call in Romans and Galatians. Although what happened on the Damascus road radically changed the tra- trajectory of Paul's life, Paul understands that he is still serving the same God as he always has. He still yeah. considers himself a Jew and sees the way as a subset of Judaism, not a separate entity altogether. Yeah. Um, and I bring that up because, man, it, it's like even I, I like I have to think about that. But the other thing I'm thinking, even when we're stupid and we are all in on doing our own thing and and but the entire time is a story and we're learning. It's like, you know, yeah. I became a Christian when I was 19 and. 18 or 19, I can't remember. But anyway, God was preparing me by the way, what I was studying, the things I was interested in through the job I was working, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, 
I'm gaining these assets and skills to where when a conversion or a call happens, it's not like I'm starting from scratch. He can use, God can use all those things that were before, baptize them, if you will, and then apply them to bringing glory to God's self. It's an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing. And if you think about where you are in life and where you have been, think about the experiences, you know, we won't talk about how many jobs I've had because that's <laughs> a really long story, but I look at the places that I've worked, the skills that I've learned, the education that I received. And then I look at where I am today and I see how God has pulled all this information, all this experience, the education, how he's pulled it all together and how I'm using it now. You know, some things maybe that I learned 10, 20 years ago that I was like, what am I going to do? But now I see where that has poured into me and where God is using this uh, for, for bettering his kingdom, for sharing the gospel, for sharing the good news with people. You know, that's, that's astonishing in and of itself crazy it is crazy that we serve yeah but that's you know that's the amazing god Um, absolutely and then there toward the end she talks about persecution of course this was the goal of Mm -hmm. paul when he or saul when he was you know coming to or on the damascus road um and she notes in the scripture records that when jesus reveals himself to saul slash paul He says, why do you persecute me? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is something that we can take note of, especially in a culture where we we talk about um, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes we think about our personal failures or personal victories. And even during prayer time, we might pray for an aunt or an uncle or family member. But we we so often forget that we're part of a unified body like yes, like what's happening over in Ukraine to Christians you know that's that's us that's the body of christ and so when when jesus talks to saul he said why do you persecute me as if paul killing a christian is also an offense against jesus christ personally to him yes so i think that's something that we need to bring up is that we we we're not just an island and it's not church but we're we're part of the body of christ followers of the way a different way yes a heavenly way if you will um so um anyway i'll I'll bring up this discussion question as a class or as a person think of the instances you can recall where scripture shows the close relationship between the suffering of jesus and the suffering of jesus's followers what does Uh that tell you about god in what ways does that help you when you're facing difficulties because of your faith it's hard for us because we don't face difficulties because of our faith a lot not not here in the united states yeah i I would say not here in the united states we don't we don't face a lot of that you know i was i was looking up several scriptures um like john 10 28 says I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. There are several scripture references that, that I 
just quickly looked up yesterday where Christ talks about us as a family of believers, as, as this fellowship that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, um, that we are this family. And, and so when, like when our brothers and sisters are being persecuted in Ukraine, that's, that's us. I agree with you that that is us. And I think that's why it's been so, um, you know, I don't know that I've been to a prayer meeting or um, a Sunday school class since the war started in Ukraine, where a prayer request has not been made yeah. for those people, because we understand um, that they need us. And all that we can do right now is pray, you know, and I say that it sounds like, you know, all we can do is pray, but really that's, that's our responsibility very as much. followers, as, as family is to pray for those, pray for those that they have courage and strength to face the days in front of them, whatever, whatever it is that they're facing. So that's part of being this fellowship. Yeah. So let me ask this question, just to muddle uh -oh. the waters a little bit. Yeah. Going to get deep. I can yeah, feel well, it. Well, I've thought about this a lot. Um, we're structured in, I don't know, growing up in the South. We got like the Hatfield McCoy things, right? And sure. and you're taught that like blood is thicker than water. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I don't know if that's a Yankee phrase or not. <laughs> um, I don't know. But the we're we're kind of trained up to say that your blood is more important than other entities, sure. other groups. But like there's that uh scene in the gospel where you know jesus's family's trying to find him and they say hey jesus your mom's you know and your mother's your brothers, and your brothers. yeah and he said who who is who my, my brothers? brothers and mother yeah. Yeah. and he was talking about those who are of the faith and so i guess what i'm wondering is how do we really do we feel that because I don't think we do. I think we still have an understanding. If, if something were to go wrong with your blood relative who wasn't uh, a follower of the way and one of your fellow Christians followers of the way and you only had a certain amount of resources, who comes first? Mm. What do you do? I mean, like, where's the line? Ooh, that's tough. That's also been yeah. like in the first couple hundred years of the church, Christians wouldn't participate in the Roman army because you were sent to go battle and it could be Christians that you're killing. Yeah. Um, so there was a conflict there. And I think it's one that nationalism or the nation state, which I'm fine with, I mean, I don't have a problem with it in its core, but in a way that it muddies these waters. And I wonder, I don't think the first century church maybe. I think maybe they came closer when we say there's neither Gentile nor Jew nor slave nor free male nor female, no Macedonian, no Rome. You know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm, um, I do. I don't know. So that's something to think about in that context, I think, hmm. because I think maybe our, our church family then at the very least should be viewed upon as our family. Sure. Uh, in, a, in, a, sure. in a real sense, like we would see as our mom's dad's brother's sisters. Yeah. I don't know. But then again, and, and we, and no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, and I think that is something that we all struggle with. 
I love my family, my blood family, but I also really love my church family. And I mean that with all my heart. They are amazing people who have shown me grace and kindness in ways that I can't even articulate, right? And if one of them were hurting, I'm hurting. If one of them needed help, I'm going to find a way to help them um, because that's what you do when they're family. But I also agree that in our, in our culture, that's not something we teach. We still, even, even among church denominations, and I hate to say this, yeah. and, I, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but even amongst church denominations, we jokingly say, oh, well, that's a Baptist. <laughs> you know, with that little eye roll and kind joking. of con- condescending about joking. <laughs> but they're still our brothers and sisters, yeah. you know, and I mean, that's, that's the thing I guess that, that I loved about the Cumberland Presbyterians is we understand, according to our confession of faith, we understand the scriptures to mean and say this. And this is the way that we're going to follow it because this is the way we understand it to, to be, but that doesn't mean that we're not, that we're the only ones going to make it to the other side. Right. You know, when we get up to the pearly gates, we recognize that it's not only going to be Cumberland Presbyterian standing behind the gate, um, that, that this is how we understand scripture, but the other people understand scripture to mean something else. Um, you know, and, and so that's what I love about us, but we don't act like that a lot of times amongst our denominations. We, we act like, eh, well, that's just some crazy Pentecostals over there. <laughs> right. It's all right. Then. Like I said, you know, so when yeah. you think about that this week, I mean, like, there is something deep into that. Why are you persecuting me that sometimes we don't, we don't pick up. Yes. Yeah. All right, so that's going to bring us to the that we don't recognize. Yeah, the applying the scriptures. We've talked about this briefly about Ananias's response, um, and I think maybe I what this. I'll do is just start with the reflection question. Now. Okay. And so let me ask you this reflection, there, Reverend: What individual or group of people are you unwilling or unable to love as you as you know God wants you to? In what ways are those? "Quote unquote blind spots related to your fears. Ooh. Be curious about the underlying fears and spend time reflecting on ways God might invite you to face them and release them. Do you trust God enough to let those go?" So I think we can't we can't meditate a long time on this broadcast. No. But is there yeah. a particular group that you have? I, I'm not going to say that. I think as best I can, I love. I think I love people. Like probably yeah. I don't have a perfect love for folks, but I do have the desire in my heart. However, I do find some people harder for me to minister to yes. than others. And so I'm in the position yes. of Ananias, but I'm going to let you open yourself up to vulnerability ah. and scorn and you go first. Uh, good. All the hate mail. Come on in. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, there is, I think the people that I have the hardest time with are, and I'm not saying there's a difference between ignorant and ignorant. Okay. I I'm, I'm saying people who are ignorant 
and choose to remain that way, who are not open-minded enough to hear the scripture, who refuse to sit down and have a conversation about any kind of a topic, who are already so dead set on their own opinion that they automatically put earplugs in when somebody else tries to say something contrary to the way they think. Those are the people that I have the hardest time ministering to um, because in some ways I feel like I'm just, I'm just wasting my breath. I'm beating my head up against a brick wall and why even bother? And then God takes me for a walk and I look at the dandelion growing up in the middle of the crack of a concrete sidewalk. And God says, somebody put a seed there. Yeah. And I went, <clears throat> conviction. <laughs> so even if, even if I don't feel that they're listening, you know, and I'm not willing to argue, but if somebody is willing to hear, I'm willing to speak. Um, so my hardest group of people to really enjoy ministering to are this sounds are super spiritual people okay the ones that like are just if like if i hear someone say well the lord told me four or five times in the first two or three sentences <laughs> i have the hardest time conversing with that person um and and i feel like i don't know if it's my maybe it's an inferiority complex and i don't i don't know i just never felt comfortable uh with that now a little bit of spiritual talk i'm obviously okay with but just when i when i feel like people think that they have this direct line that god has never shut up to them it, it worries me a bit and it it, and it, uh, and I'm tired after I get done talking to them. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I have to create the spiritual energy and force mm -hmm. to just stay in the same ballpark. And by the time we're done, I'm just tired. And yeah. I, and sometimes when I see people, I, this is bad. I kind of like try to get behind a door or something real quick. So I don't have to have a conversation. Um, and that's weird. Maybe, maybe it's not. I and I guess different personalities have different, uh, different struggles. Sure. I would say, like, um, you know, I'm really comfortable. Like, I, I find my groove in like people coming out of the halfway house, people who have been arrested, people who just are addicts. I like, I'm cool. Yeah. Like, I can sit down, kick it, and I'm fine. Um, yeah. I guess maybe now that I'm talking it through psychologist becky uh is that maybe maybe i'm more comfortable with folks who i know have messed up and they know they've messed up because i've messed up and we can all just be messed up together and and seek something sure. and maybe i get threatened because maybe maybe i don't feel like i'm good enough for some people maybe i'm projecting that i don't know maybe you don't feel like you're spiritual enough could be yeah, on their on their on their perceived level of spirituality, maybe you don't feel like you'll ever.
be at that level. And so you're uncomfortable having that conversation. Psychologist Becky. Yeah. <clears throat> Anybody want to give me a honorary doctorate? I'll take it. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, though, I think in general, though, I think probably everybody um, might feel uncomfortable. Well, I've seen the statistics. Cumberland Presbyterians are terrible at evangelism. Yes. Okay, so we're either terrible at it or the Holy Spirit took a vacation because we don't have a whole lot of what Dr. Uh, Lancaster calls the column fives in the uh, right. yearbook, those professions yeah. of faith. So, uh, but maybe that's something we need to get over. And like Ann and us, I think it's okay. I think it's absolutely okay to be scared. Mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely okay Surely. to be a frightened feeling of unworthiness. Yeah. It's absolutely okay. But eventually you've just got to say, I've got to do this. Yeah. I think eventually you have to hear God's leading, but that comes with, oh, that comes with spiritual disciplines. It does. That comes with growing closer to God and maturing in your faith. And if you're stagnant, you got a problem. You need to be growing. Yeah. Yeah. Not settle for being scared. Mm-mm. Well, understand why we ran through things pretty good today we did it's amazing what happens when you have a meeting at the top of the hour huh uh, it, it really is yeah all right now but i loved it it was yeah. a good conversation, good conversation. So. um for our pastors and christian education leaders may the lord bless you keep you make his face shine upon you be gracious unto you may the lord turn his face toward you and give you peace amen and we'll see you next week amen bye